I invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. This morning we'll be looking at verses 30 to 41. Mark 9, 30 to 41. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. From there they went out and were going through Galilee. And he was not wanting anyone to know about it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise again three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And taking a child, he set him before them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to hinder him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you are of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Let's pray. God, we pray that today you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. Help us to see and understand what it is you would teach us today and to know how it is we should respond so that our lives can be in line with the requirements of your most holy word. Come and do it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Some people seek to achieve greatness by working their way step by step up the ladder. But that's not the way it works in the Christian life. Greatness for the Christian is achieved by working your way step by step down the ladder. You don't achieve greatness as a Christian by ascending to a place where you are above others As a Christian, you achieve greatness by descending to a place where you're below others. Let me say it another way. A Christian achieves greatness by humbly serving others in Jesus' name. Now, I know that's contrary to the world. The world says the one who's great is the one sitting at the head of the table that has everybody waiting on him hand and foot. That's the great one. But that's not the way it is in the Christian life. That's not the way it is for followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus achieve greatness when we humble ourselves, making other people more important than we are, putting their needs and wants ahead of our own, taking last place, last in line for the benefit of others. As we have reached the second half of Mark's gospel, 
Jesus' public ministry among the crowds is not the focus anymore. In the first eight chapters, Jesus was ministering openly, publicly, teaching, healing, casting out demons, all these sort of things. But that's not the focus now as we move to the second half of Mark's gospel. Jesus has now set his sights toward Jerusalem and the cross. In this part of Mark's gospel, we see Jesus as the suffering servant. The one who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for ministry, for, for many. In this part of the gospel, Jesus is not so much concerned on public ministry as he is with preparing him for preparing his disciples for the reality that they too are called to a life of suffering in the service of Christ and his kingdom. As he pictures his own suffering, he makes it clear that his disciples are also called to humbly serve and suffer for the kingdom. Last week we saw Jesus teaching his disciples that in order to have any success in serving him, they must humbly depend on him. They have to exercise faith by humbly depending on Christ. Well, in our scriptures for today, we see the disciples having a discussion about which of them is the greatest. This conversation provides Jesus an opportunity to teach them another very important lesson about being a disciple of Jesus. It's simply this, a disciple of Jesus achieves greatness by humbly serving others in Jesus' name. There are four things I want to show you that I pray will help us understand and apply the message of these verses. Here's the first one. Jesus is the Christian's model of greatness. Jesus is the Christian's model of greatness. You'll notice that Jesus and his disciples are going through Galilee, but they don't want anyone to know. The, the point is Jesus is not wanting to attract crowds he's not wanting to he's not wanting to minister to people publicly anymore he wants to focus on teaching his disciples verse 31 he begins to do that and you'll notice he calls himself the son of man the son of man is a title that comes from daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 there god gives daniel a vision and this is what it says i kept looking in the night and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up with the Ancient of Days and came near before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every tongue might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not be taken away and his kingdom one which will not be destroyed. So the Son of Man describes one that God makes king over all things. He's given a permanent kingdom. He will rule over all people and all nations forever. The King of Kings. He's describing Jesus. And that's what Jesus refers to himself as here in verse 31. The Son of Man. So this pictures his exalted status as the King of all. But notice his next words. The Son of Man, the exalted King, is to be delivered into the hands of men. That means to be placed under the power 
and control of men who were hostile to him. He was going to be handed over to them. Now I want you to think about this. Judas handed Jesus over to the chief priests. The chief priest handed Jesus over to Pilate. Pilate handed Jesus over to the Romans to crucify him. But behind all of that is this reality. Acts chapter 2 verses 22 and 23. Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost said this. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over to you by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of lawless men and put him to death. Yes, Jews handed Jesus over to the chief priests. Yes, the chief priests handed Jesus over to Pilate. Yes, Pilate handed Jesus over to the Roman soldiers to crucify him. But behind it all, the one ultimately who gave Jesus over to death is God. That's exactly what John 3.16 says. God so loved the world that who gave? He gave his son to die. The question is, why would God give his exalted son, the one who's to be king, why would he give him over? The answer is very clear in verse 31. He would give him into the hands of men and they will kill him. He would give him over to hostile men and they would kill him. Again, we have to ask the question, why? Why would God deliver his son over to be killed? We find the answer in Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our peace fell upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But listen, listen to this. But Yahweh, God, has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. God delivered his exalted son over to sinful men to die in order that he might die an atoning death to pay for our sin. But death was not going to win. Jesus tells his disciples in verse 31, he will rise again after three days, proving once and for all he is Lord and Christ. Now, now think with me for just a minute. The one who is both God and King became a man. There's no way to humble yourself any lower than that. To be God and yet allow yourself to become a man. That's about as far as you can humble yourself. And not only did he humble himself to become a man, he went even further by offering himself as a sacrifice for unworthy, undeserving sinners. Now listen, 
I've already told you that greatness in the Christian life is about humbly serving others. It's humbling yourself to serve others. There can be no greater example of humbling yourself to serve others than the one who is himself God to become man to die on our behalf. There's no way to possibly humble yourself anymore and be a greater example of service. Isn't that exactly what Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 8 says? Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, although Jesus was himself God, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That, ladies and gentlemen, is greatness. To humble yourself to that extent for the benefit of others. That's the exact model of what it means to be great. You want to know what greatness looks like? Look at Christ and what he did. Stepped out of heaven, became man, and put himself in the place of serving mankind by dying on our behalf. Listen, he is our model for greatness. You want to know what greatness looks like? You simply look to Christ. And you see what he's done. So the first thing I want you to see is Jesus is the Christian's model of greatness. The second thing I want you to notice here is that Jesus exposes a wrong understanding of Jesus of greatness. In verses 33 and 34, Jesus exposes a wrong understanding of greatness. We see here in verse 33 that uh, Jesus and his disciples travel to Capernaum. Capernaum had been his home base during his three years of ministry. This is kind of where he came back to every time he would return from a ministry trip. This is where Peter and Andrew, James and John had lived. And this is kind of where he made his home base. This time he comes to Capernaum would be his last before he went to Jerusalem to die. Well, they get to Capernaum. They get settled in the house where they were going. And Jesus asked a question. What were you discussing on the way? But they didn't say a word. They didn't answer him. Well, why the silence? Verse 34, look at it. But they kept silent. For on the way, they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. They didn't say a word because instinctively they knew that discussion they were having would not make Jesus happy. They were debating with one another which one of them as disciples was the greatest. In other words, which of them had the highest rank? Which of them was the most important? It's like James and John, the brothers, when they went to Jesus and said, look, would you let us sit on your right and your left in your kingdom? In other words, when you're on your throne as king, we want to have the seats right next to you on both sides. They were asking for a place of prominence, place of power and authority and greatness. They wanted status. They wanted to be recognized. 
See, that's what the disciples are talking about. Now, the contrast here is staggering. Here Jesus is telling them that He's going to die. And all the while, they're talking about which one of them is going to have the greatest, highest position and authority. Which one of us is most important? Who's going to be the general and who's going to be the private? Who's going to be the leader and who's going to be the follower? Here Jesus is being the perfect example of humble service to others. And they are here with their inflated self-importance and their egos talking about which one of them is most important. Jesus is thinking about dying on behalf of sinners so they can be reconciled to God. They're focused on their own personal rank and status. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem to humble himself and they are seeking to exalt themselves. Jesus is focused on serving. They are more concerned with being served. See the question Jesus asked in verse 33, what were you discussing on the way? He doesn't ask that question because he doesn't know what they were talking about. No, 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 no. He knew what they were talking about. He asked the question to expose them. To expose their wrong understanding of greatness and to provide him the opportunity to correct their twisted thinking. See, they were thinking in greatness in the way the world does. The world thinks of greatness as the one who holds the highest position in the company. The world thinks of greatness as the one who climbs to the top of the social ladder. The world thinks of greatness as the one who's got the most accomplishments, greatest salary, the most possessions, it's the most popularity and fame. That's the way the world looks at greatness. Matthew 20, verse 25 and 26. Jesus called the disciples to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. What's he saying there? He's saying, you know, out in the world, with those people who don't follow me, the ones they consider great are the ones who have authority over everybody else. The boss. That's who's great. But Jesus said, it is not to be that way among you. Listen. As Christians, we have to get it out of our minds. That greatness means being in charge. That greatness means the one who's got the title and the one who's up front leading the pack. That greatness is the one everybody recognizes. Everybody knows your name, having your name in lights. We got to switch around this idea of greatness. And that enables this, this question Jesus asks brings him to a place where he can show them what greatness really looks like. Here's the third thing I want you to notice in these verses, in verse 35, Jesus teaches the way to achieve greatness. 
Verse 35, and sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Sitting was the official teaching position for a Jewish rabbi. When a Jewish rabbi was going to teach, he didn't come up in front of everybody and, and stand up. He sat. That was a sign that he's fixing to teach. So when Jesus sits among his disciples, they know he's fixing to teach us something important. He gathers the 12 around him. And he says, if anyone wants to be first. This first word first is not the exact same word as the word great, but it means essentially the same thing. It means first in rank. If you want to be first in terms of importance, if you want to be at the head of the pack, if you want to be first, you'll have to be last. Last of all and servant of all. Here's what he says. In the kingdom, the great ones are not the ones in the front of the line. They are the ones in the back of the line. This is about humility. That's why Jesus says, many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. Here's what he means. Those people who put themselves first in this, li in this life, in the next life, they'll find themselves last. Those who put themselves last in this life, for Jesus' sake, will be in first place in the next life. Or another way Jesus said it. He who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Why put yourself in last place? What's the point? What's the reason for humbling yourself like that and making others more important to you? The reason is so that you can serve them. He shall be last of all and servant of all. A servant is simply someone who works in the service of someone else. It means acting for the good of another person. A perfect example is found in John chapter 12. This is where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. You see, in that culture, washing feet was necessary. After you took a journey, when you came into the house, they wore open sandals and, and there were no paved streets. It was all dust and dirt, so your feet would be really dirty when you got to someone's home. And whoever was the host would have his servant wash the feet of his guests to clean off the dust and dirt off of their feet. But this is a task that was reserved for the lowest servant. But here Jesus puts himself in the place of the lowest slave and washes the feet of his disciples. Why did he do that? He tells us in John 12 verses 14 and 15. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. 
In other words, I'm showing you how you're supposed to act as Christians. You're supposed to put yourself in last place so that you can serve others, so that you can act on their behalf, so that you can put their needs and wants ahead of your own. You're to become a servant. In the kingdom, it isn't those at the head of the table who are being waited on hand and foot who are great. The great ones are those who are serving the table. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you humble yourself. Put everyone else ahead of yourself and act for their good, for their benefit. There's one more thing I want to show you in this text. Jesus shows what greatness looks like in practice. Jesus gives us two pictures in verses 36 to 41 that give us a picture of what it looks like to humble yourself and serve others. Look at verse 36. Taking a child, he set him before them, Okay, so Jesus takes a child. This is someone who's underage, a minor. Still not old, not old enough to work or carry his own weight. He has to depend on everyone else for everything. So he takes this child. Now here's something you have to keep in mind. A child represented the lowest order on the social scale. You see, they were good illustrations of the least of these the people who had the least significance in society why because children weren't yet old enough to be of any real use you see you have to understand this was a society where infant mortality rates were very high but there was a need for labor in other words what they needed was for these children to grow up to the place that they could work they didn't have the same nostalgic, mushy feelings about children that we do. They couldn't afford to. So children were certainly loved and cared for, but they didn't have the, the place of honor and significance that we often give children. Children were the kind that society might ignore or deem less important or the kind they might dismiss as insignificant. But look in verse 36. Jesus takes him in his arms. He embraces this child and he sets him in the middle of them. In other words, he makes this child the center of attention. That was unusual. Children were never the center of attention like oftentimes today they will be, but that wasn't the case in Jesus' day. And look what he says. Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. What does it mean to receive this child? To receive someone. It means treating them as significant. Rather than ignoring them or suppressing them. In other words, instead of dismissing this child. Jesus has made him significant. What is Jesus doing? He is calling his disciples to serve those people 
who society would look on as insignificant. Those like children that society would tend to dismiss or suppress or ignore or deem less important. Jesus is telling them when he talks about the least of these, my brothers, he means even the most insignificant of those who are Christians, you are to put them ahead of yourself. You are to treat them as if they are of utmost importance and significance. Those who are at the bottom of the social hierarchy, those who have no power and no influence, those who are despised, those who live in poverty, he says we are to serve that kind of person. We are to put them ahead of ourselves. Serve those that society has rejected and considered less important. Those society has overlooked. And notice what he says. Whoever receives one like this receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me but him who sent me. What's he saying? It's very simple. He says, when you serve one of these insignificant, one of these society has overlooked, when you serve the least of these, you are really doing that for me. And when you do it for me, you're really doing it for the Father. In other words, when you humble yourself and serve the lowly, you are really serving God. You're doing that for God. You're doing that for God. In verse 38, we see a second example Jesus gives us. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to hinder him because he was not following us. Here we are introduced to an unnamed man. This man was casting out demons in Jesus' name. Like we've seen Jesus do earlier in Mark, this man was casting out demons in the name of Jesus and apparently was doing it successfully. John didn't say he was trying to cast out demons, but that he actually was casting out demons in Jesus' name. But the disciples tried to stop him from doing it. The question is why? John says, because he was not following us. In other words, he's not part of the official group. He's not part of our group. What are they doing? They're protecting their status as disciples. Oh, no, 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 no. You're not one of us. No, no, you, you can't, you can't, you're not part of this. They don't want to share their glory with anybody else. They don't want to share their recognition with anybody else. They don't want their honor to be divided among 13. 12 is enough. It's, it's, a, it's an exclusive attitude that's driven by a desire not to share their position and their recognition. It's that same desire for greatness. But verse 39, look what Jesus says. Do not hinder him, 
for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. In other words, Jesus seems to give this man his approval. Think about it. The man was successfully casting out demons in Jesus' name. Now what does that tell us? That tells us that God was using this man for good. This man didn't have the power to cast out demons. That was the power of God. So God apparently approved of this man enough to allow him to use Jesus' name to cast out demons. If you read Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 16, you find out what happens to someone who tries to cast out demons in Jesus' name if he's not really a follower of Jesus. That's the story where it says the sons of Sceva were trying to cast out demons in Jesus' name. And what they would say is, by the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, come out of him. And the demon would reply, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? And it says the demon-possessed man attacked them and beat them to death. What's the point? They were just trying to use Jesus' name. They weren't really followers of Jesus. But apparently this man really was a follower of Jesus. Verse 40. He was not against us, is for us. Jesus implies that this man is one of us even though he's not traveling with us. Jesus said, there's no need to fear him turning against me. He said, he's casting out demons in my name. In other words, he's giving me credit. By using Jesus' name in these exorcisms, he's giving Jesus the credit. He's saying that the power comes from Jesus. And he said, he's not going to turn around in the next breath and curse me after he's doing a great work in my name. And then verse 41. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you are of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Here's a principle established. Doing even the smallest act of kindness to someone because he is a Christian will certainly be rewarded. The example Jesus gives is giving someone a cup of cold water. In Jesus' day, it was common courtesy to give a traveler or someone who was weary and thirsty, it was just common courtesy to give them a cup of water. And it wasn't expected a reward. In other words, this is not something you were going to be rewarded for. It's just something that was common courtesy that you do. But Jesus says, God values every act of kindness done to Christians, even the most insignificant of Christians, God values every act of kindness done to those to be worthy of a reward. In other words, these people Jesus is telling us to serve, we humble ourselves and serve others, even the most insignificant of others, even the ones the world would dismiss, we, we serve them all. And Jesus says, when you do that, even the smallest act of kindness my Father will not fail to reward it. What is Jesus telling him this for? 
He's saying, you see that man who was trying to cast out demons in my name, who was casting out demons in my name? You see, this is what you should have done for him. Instead of trying to stop him, you should have helped him. You should have served him. You should have given him a cup of cold water. You should have encouraged him. This is what you should have done. So here Jesus gives us two examples. These children, the most insignificant in society, even them, he said, look, you, you humble yourself and serve them even though the rest of the society might consider them insignificant. Anyone who is a follower of me, you humble yourself and serve them. Don't hinder them. Help them. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34 through 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, even the least of them, you did it to me. Earlier, I referred to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Let me remind you what these familiar verses say. Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here's the question. Paul tells us, Jesus, even though he was God, he left heaven, became a man, and became like a slave and served all mankind by being obedient to God, even to the point that he would go and die on a cross. Why is Paul telling us that? Why does he describe Jesus this way? The answer comes in verse 5, which comes just before his description of Jesus. This is what it said. Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have the same attitude that Jesus had. Think like Jesus thought. How did he think? He had the mindset that said, I'm willing to leave heaven and become man and become a servant to all, even by dying. And Paul said, that's how you're supposed to be. That's the way of thinking you ought to have. That I am to humble myself and serve others. We are to imitate Jesus. Who is the greatest example of humbly serving others. Let me ask you a question. When you get to heaven, if, if you get to heaven, if you've been born again, filled with the Spirit of God, transformed by grace through faith in Jesus, if that's happened to you, when you get to heaven, 
Do you want to be in a place of recognition? Do you want to, do you want to be someone who's among the great in heaven? Do you want to be someone who the Lord acknowledges? The way for that to happen is for you in this life to put yourself last for the benefit of serving others. That's how you find significance in the kingdom of God. A Christian achieves greatness by humbly serving others in Jesus' name. Let's pray.